Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Amen. Well, listen, this morning, as you saw a while ago in the announcements, uh, marks the eighth day of our 21-day corporate fast here in the church. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember me encouraging all of us to go before our Father and just simply asking Him how we should fast uh, during this time. And so I just want to say that if you have chosen to participate with us, either by a traditional fast or an intermediate fast or a partial food fast or a media fast or a combination of any of those things, know from us as a leadership team, uh, man, thank you so much for partnering with us uh, because I can assure you that uh, there's great power when we decide as God people to, to not only just live, but to also to fast and to pray in the spirit of unity. There's great power there, yes? Amen. So listen, before we jump into today's message, I want to encourage us just with two thoughts as we fast. The first one is this, is is that while we fast, remember our focus isn't so much about taking away things from our lives. No, we're so often people dive into a fast and it's really, they're so focused on what they're removing from their life and they forget it's not really about that as much as it is about the things that God's wanting to add to your life in those moments. And so uh, if I could just say it this way, that the goal for the next 13 days is to simply, uh, you know, as we remove the things that would typically distract us from spending meaningful time with God, that we actually have the opportunity to add or to replace those things with things like prayer, things like reading the Bible, meditating on God's Word, worshiping, and actually listening to His voice, or a combination, it should be a combination of all of those things, okay? And I just think that if you do that, you'll be pleasantly surprised what God will add to your life as you do that, amen? And the second thing that I want to encourage us today is this, just a reminder, is as we come together, listen, we are praying for a release of God's glory and God's order into our personal lives, into our families, into this church, into this region, into this nation. And remember as we do that, there's a certain attitude that we need to have. And that attitude is this. It's actually found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. I brought it up last week, but I want to remind you of it again today. This is where Jesus said this. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For those kind of people, they will be filled. So if I could take a moment to reiterate a point from last week, if, if you and I are actually going to position ourselves to be filled with things from heaven, right, then surely the first thing we're going to need to be able to do is we got to be able to empty ourselves of all the things that would distract us and all the things that would keep us from being hungry and thirsty for more of God. Yes? Now, listen, I don't know about you, but I believe the only way that you and I can actually empty ourselves like the way he desires for us to is if we're willing to come before him and lay down our tendency to do what? To depend on our own strength, to depend on our own ability, our own wisdom, our own insight, our own giftedness, and our own righteousness. Let's be, let's use straight guys. We all do it, right? And so here's the neat part, though, as we come and we pray, and as we lay those things down, guess what happens? God actually begins to do this incredible exchange with us. As we lay down our strength, He gives us His strength. We lay down our abilities, He gives us His, right? And He just begins to fill us, right, with His insight, His grace, and His righteousness. So what am I getting at here is this, is that the more emptiness that you and I can actually give God, guess what? The more of His fullness we can receive. 
right? Like if you just simply imagine if I had whatever, a cup of water here and it only had like that much empty space in it. Well, there's that, not that much that that thing can hold, right? And so, but if I'm willing to dump that water out and then guess what, there's an empty cup, then it can contain a lot more. That's all I'm trying to say is let's empty ourselves out so we can get as much of God as he's wanting to give us at this moment. Amen? Amen. Amen. So before we transition, let me just say this. Once again, if you and I can approach this time with that kind of focus, that's not about what we are, uh, you know, whatever, surrendering or, or, you know, giving away, but it's actually what we're adding to our lives. We can have that kind of focus. And if we can have the attitude that says, you know what, I'm willing to pour out all this so I can be hungry for God. Once again, I believe that we'll be pleasantly surprised what he'll do in our lives, what he'll do in your families, what he'll do in the church and so on. Amen. All right, let's shift gears. So listen, for the past couple of days, I've been thinking about this thought and this process about how we empty ourselves out. Because how many of you guys know that is a process, right? And, and so, you know, as I've been thinking about that, I have one thing that kind of keeps coming back to my mind. And it's really this. It's one of my favorite things about Jesus. Okay, now like obviously we all like a lot of things about Jesus, but there's something that really sticks out to me that I'm not so sure if, if we normally think about. And it's this is that Jesus will never ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. That Jesus will never ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. Now, if I kind of put that, you know, uh, whatever, on a, on a place we can kind of understand, like I'm pretty sure that most of us in this life have, have worked for somebody at some point that, that they have told us to do things or they expected things from us that they would never do. <laughs> right? And to think for a moment that here is the creator of the universe, right? Here's the one that created us in his image. Here's the one that came and saved us. And guess what? He is saying, you know what? I'll never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And so when it comes to this idea about literally Jesus emptying himself, emptying, him, emptying himself, I think we should be able to look in the Bible and go, you know what? There's a place that says that he did that. And I actually want to show you a place in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. It says this. It says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Get that. The same attitude. This is though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he did what? He emptied himself, as a lot of translations say, of his divine privileges by taking on the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. Now, in my opinion, and this is where we're going to go today, okay? I'm giving us some direction here. In my opinion that as Jesus willingly emptied himself out, he had actually brought him to a place of dependency on his father. Right? Like we actually uh, see Jesus talking about this, referring to this, after he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. He was speaking to the Jewish leaders when he said this in John chapter 5, verse 19. It says, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth that the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. Now here's the cool part, is this scripture is not some isolated incident where Jesus said one thing and he moved on. This is something he actually repeatedly said in different ways. And, and if you notice in the Bible, if it's repeated many times, we need to perk it up and we need to listen that maybe there's something there we need to hear, right? So listen how Jesus echoed this in John 5, a few verses later, verse 30. 
He said, I can do nothing of my own, right? I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Fast forward, John 6 says, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Fast forward again, John 8 says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am He. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases Him. Fast forward again, last one, John 12. He said this, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me to say and how to say it, right? What to say and how to say it. And this is verse 50, and I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. All right, so if we bring all those verses together, like what is Jesus really getting at here? Like what's he telling you and I? He's saying this. He's saying when, that, when he chose to clothe himself with human flesh, at that moment he also chose to empty himself of all of his divine rights. Now what were the divine rights that he willingly laid aside? It was this. His divine rights contained his agenda, his initiative, his judgments, his thoughts, his opinions, and ultimately, and this is the key thing, his ability to make things happen by his own free will. Right? Instead, he chose to submit what? In such a way that he only actually said what he heard the Father saying. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He didn't just go on his own accord and say, you know what? It's my own agenda. I'm going rogue. I'm doing it my own way. Right? Instead, he decided to live from a place of dependency upon his Father for all things. Now, listen, I think it's easy, especially when you've been in church a while and you've heard all this before. It's really sit back and applaud Jesus and go, Jesus, you did such a great job at that. Right? And we, and we think, wow, you did really good. Why? Because of the results that we find in the Gospels. And, and if I could just maybe say this, uh, you know, how come we don't sometimes get the results we think we should be getting? This is why. Right? Because we're not doing it. Right. And so I think instead of just applauding Jesus, that maybe we need to stop for a minute and actually remember what Peter told you and I to do. Look at this verse in first Peter two twenty one. He said this. He said, in fact, you were called. Get that. You were called to do this. You were called to live this way because Christ also suffered in your place. Doing what? Leaving you his example for you to follow. Leaving his example for you to follow. So guys, when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right, we begin to read the Gospels, and we see all these uh, many areas, right, that Jesus came to be our example in, I want you to realize that first and foremost, one of the top ones is that He came to show us how to live a life of dependency upon the Father for all things. Now, I think it's this, is He's trying to show us that you and I don't need to be living according to our own initiative. Right? But we would actually learn to follow his leading in everything we think, say, and do. In fact, I'll throw a verse out to you that we, most of us in this room know. It's Matthew 4, 19. Jesus said, come and follow me. Do you understand that that's a call to surrender? That's a call to obedience. That's not come and, and hey, halfway follow me and the rest of the time do whatever you want. So, look, let me give you another example so you, we can be clear what Jesus expects from us. He said this in John 15, 4 through 5. He said, remain in me. Get that remain in me. Don't hop in occasionally and hop out. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch, that's us, 
cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. That's him. He's the, the trunk of the tree, if you will, right? He says, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Key part. Here's the expectation. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Can we just let that like sink in for a moment? Right? Like and acknowledge how often we think different than that. Right? And so I, I think if we could understand today, just for clarity is this, is Jesus is not saying that we can't do the simple things in life. In other words, yeah, we can, we can all wake up and get ourselves dressed, brush our teeth, right? We can all take showers, go to the bathroom. We can all hop in the car. We can all drive to work. We can kind of do our job. We can do those things, right? But, but that's not really what he's talking about. What he's talking about is this, is that you and I can never do anything of eternal value. We can never do anything that bears lasting fruit without being divinely connected to him as our vine, right? As our source and as the true initiator of the things in this life. Now, if I can maybe pause there for a minute and say this, I don't know about you, but, but I don't, I don't want to get to heaven one day and the only thing I have is basically a little basket of rotten fruit for my king because it wasn't lasting fruit. Right? Like, I don't want to get to heaven one day and say, you know what, I really have nothing of eternal value to offer you. And if you don't think that's possible, all you have to do is go read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It is very possible. Yes. Right? Wood, hay, and stubble, right? Or gold, silver, and precious jewels. One, the fire burns up. The other one, the fire purifies, and it gets even better. I want to give something that's better. Yes. Amen? Amen. Amen? So, let me just say this, you guys. I hope that we are all seeing that Jesus expects us to live in dependency towards Him, okay? But, but, but I, I think we all recognize at the same time is that is a whole lot easier said than done. Like, it's easy to get up here and say it, right? It's a whole other thing to walk out this door and go do it, right? And so, and here's why. Um, in my opinion, one of the main hindrances we face when it comes to actually living a life of dependency, okay, it's because you and I uh, live in a culture where we were taught and where we are, were encouraged to be independent from even a young age, right? So much so that in many ways our culture celebrates and even breeds what I would call an independent spirit. Okay, y'all listen to me, please. Our society tells us that it is a good thing to be independent. It's a good thing to bear, be strong. In fact, those are things that you need to almost wear on your chest like a badge of honor. Right? And listen, if you grew up in this area, you know this is true. Right? Because they push it and push it and push it. And I'm telling you, it is like people reek of an independent spirit. Right? And it's not a thing to celebrate. Amen? So, in light of kind of that thought process of how we're taught by the world system... Uh, I just want to simply do this. I want to view a few definitions and then a few synonyms of the word independent because my hope is, is that you and I will begin to recognize and see these things and go, oh, that's how an independent spirit is operating in my life. Right? And listen, I believe if there's any part that maybe the Holy Ghost wants to talk to you today, it's in this. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's look at a few definitions for the word independent. It starts with this, free from outside control, not depending on another's authority. So if I can maybe stop right there and just say this, when we go through these things, I'm really asking you to be mature enough to view these through three different areas. 
The first one is this, we understand that God is the ultimate authority. Secondly, we understand that God has placed spiritual authority in our lives, not to abuse us, but to help us, develop us, to grow us, to move us along, okay? That's a healthy thing, it's not a bad thing. And thirdly, that God's actually given the community that He's called us to authority in our lives. Okay? So let's, let's see these things through those lens. So once again, free from outside control, not depending on another's authority. Next, not depending on another for livelihood or sustenance. Capable of thinking or acting for oneself. Not influenced or affected by others. Not connected with another or with each other or separate. Not depending on something else for strength or effectiveness. And lastly, free standing. All right, now let's look at a few synonyms of the word independent here, okay? I think this will make things clearer. Self-reliant, self-sufficient, self-contained, self-determined, self-governing, self-ruling, self-supporting. Does anybody see why I don't like my last name right now? <laughs> Jesus, help me. All right, watch this. Unallied. Unconnected, unrestrained, separate, individualistic, not aligned on one's own. Another one that is said in there was free willing. So listen, if I could take this a step further, an independent person thinks and says things like this. I'm pursuing my dreams. I'm pursuing my calling. I'm strong and I can do things myself. I'm a self-made person. Listen, I can't tell you how many people I've heard in the, you know, the past 20 years that have even said this. I've had the audacity and the boldness to say that I'm a self-made disciple of Christ. As they say this, that I don't need anyone's help. I don't need anyone's permission. Nobody needs to tell me what to do, right? That listen, I will decide what's right for me. No one will tell me what to do. This is my life. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but... Um, there's something that really pops out to me as a, as a common denominator when I read through those things. Let, let me maybe first say this. Every one of us in this room have thought or, or said things like that. Right? So nobody's sitting in, the, in a seat of judgment today. Okay? And, and so, but once again, there's, there's a certain thing that really sticks out as common in those statements since this. There's a whole lot of I, me, and my in all those statements, aren't there? Now, listen, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear all that, but these statements actually remind me of someone in the Bible, okay? And I want to tell you about him, okay? Because it says this in Isaiah 14, show you a glimpse of him, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. And I will ascend above the highest of the clouds. And lastly, I will be like the most high God. <laughs> like, obviously there's a hint there in the first verse, but man, does anyone know who Isaiah was talking about there. He's talking about Lucifer, Satan, the devil, right? So li listen, when we're hearing all of this, can I just suggest to you today <coughs> that not only did Satan possess the original independent spirit, 
But I also would like to suggest that when we refuse to live from a place of dependency, right, we are actually choosing to operate by and operate under the same spirit that motivates Satan even to this day in doing the things that he does. Okay, so, so listen, if, you, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking that good old PQ just said that an independent spirit is demonically influenced, or if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, did he just say when we live from an independent spirit, we're acting like Satan, I just want you to know you heard me correctly. Okay? Now, now listen, let me, let me quickly share with you uh, 15 signs that a person is operating out of an independent spirit. Now I'm going to help you out. Uh, this week, it's probably not the person sitting next to you. It may be you, okay? So let me give you 15 signs that we are operating out of independent spirit. Watch this, at its core, an independent spirit seeks self-glory. In other words, there's selfish motives attached, right? An independent spirit operates in conceit in other words, there's, at its core, there's arrogance. An independent spirit will use, listen to me, Christian, will use the Bible to leverage their agenda. I'm going to pick that verse out so I can manipulate you or to manipulate somebody to believe what I want them to believe so I can do what I want to do, right? An independent spirit is competitive in nature. An independent spirit only does what feels right to them. An independent spirit only does what will benefit them. An independent spirit is rebellious towards authority. What I mean by that is they're unwilling to submit or to be accountable to any real spiritual leadership. Once again, where's our spiritual leadership? With God, with spiritual leadership. That's really the role that I sit in, right? And others that are around us as elders and leaders, okay? And, and then thirdly, guess what? There's an authority, once again, among us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, that's not self-serving. That's the Bible, okay? So, so think about this. The independent spirit refuses to listen or submit their plans to wise counsel. What I mean by that is they're unteachable and they're uncorrectable. An independent spirit will obey, but only partially. Mean this, I will only do enough to get you off of my back because I really want to do what I want to do. Right? An independent spirit is impatient when it comes to the plan of God. An independent spirit, what does it do? It does things in secret. Right? In other words, it schemes and it plans in the dark. An independent spirit is divisive in nature. If I could just simply sit right there for a second and tell you this, that if a divisive person or divisive uh, spirit isn't, you know, dealt with, it has the potential to grow into a barrier, uh, you know, against the kingdom of God, right? Literally, it will stop the works in the kingdom of God. And, and watch this, and, and, and listen, if you're married, listen to this. Even if you have a divisive spirit that's, that's operating in your marriage, guess what? That thing will destroy your marriage, right. right? In other words, let me say it this way. If one spouse is really just trying to be super independent, and they don't realize that it's no longer me, but it's we, it will destroy a marriage, Right? And to understand that even a divisive spirit, guess what? That destroys relationships, right? Beyond the marriage, it destroys families, churches, and businesses. It is not healthy. Is everybody with me today? Listen, independent spirit, number 13, will hide behind spiritual jargon. What I mean by that? 
people who operate with an independent spirit, if they're a Christian, they know what to say. And so, and they only, not only know what to say, but they know when to say it. But the only problem is, is their actions and their words don't line up. Right? So, number 14, an independent spirit, right, has a hard heart. Now, if I can be pause there for a second, I have to be honest with you. When I bump up against someone who's operating really hard out of an independent spirit, most of the time there's a part of my heart, there's part of me that gets frustrated, but there's another part that has loads of grace. And here's why. It's because most of the time, uh, if someone has a hard heart, it's due to the fact that they've been wounded somewhere. Yeah. Right? And, and, and if you can have the heart of God enough to look beyond all the stuff on the outside and see the wound, if they're open, you can help them. Right? So lastly, in number 15, an independent spirit would rather work alone to accomplish your work for God. If we can leave that up, please. L listen, I seriously doubt that there isn't a person in this room, including myself, big time including myself, right, that hasn't either been guilty in the past or isn't currently guilty of doing one or more of those things on that list. Right? In fact, if I'm being honest with you today, I can probably say that I've done every single one of them multiple times. Okay? But, but here's the, the good part. That I go, man, I thank God that I fear God enough and I love God enough that there's times where the Holy Spirit has spoke to me and go, you know what, uh, Quinn, whatever, you're doing number six, you're doing number ten, you're, whatever, you're doing one of those things. And I've had enough humility about me to repent and to get it right so that thing didn't take up uh, residence in me and so it didn't rip, you know, whatever, uh, basically put its roots inside of me and get a hold on me, right? And so if I can maybe just, so for better understanding, hopefully we're getting this, but, but to kind of show you this in another way, when it comes to an independent spirit, I, I think that we've all, we've all got stuck in a spiritual adolescence mindset from time to time. Right? That we all get stuck in spiritual adolescence from time to time. If you can't think about this with me for a moment. This happens when you and I actually begin to act like spiritual teenagers. What happens is, is, is we actually think that we know more than everyone else around us. Including God, our spiritual leadership, and the community around us. Right? And we act like, guess what? We are more locked in, more in tune, more in touch. We're hearing clearer than anyone else that no one around us knows what God is up to like us. And because of this, guess what? We think we know better, so why should we listen to anyone else? You know, remember when you were a teenager? I, I went through it. You know, listen, if you're older, you went through it. You know, you hit that age where you just think for some reason your parents are the dumbest people on the planet. I don't know why, right? And so, but we've all done this at some point. And listen, we, we've not only do that in the natural, but we also do that in the supernatural is what I'm telling you, right? And it seems like just as when we were teenagers, uh, you know, when we, we simply ignored all those warning signs that were just, I mean, blasting around us. And the reason we ignored them is because we thought we were too smart. And truth is, we were too stubborn to even listen, right? We were like literally too smart for our own good. And so if I can, just for a moment, let me share a few things with you that I've learned over the years and I wish somebody would have told me years ago, okay? And that's this, that this type of thinking, right? In other words, we got this list up, that, that not only is that just, you know, just independent thinking, but man, that's also immature thinking as well. Like every bit of those 15 things, and there's loads more, but, but they are all rooted in immaturity. Are y'all with me today, church? Listen, secondly, in our immaturity, what we sorely miss is this, is that we aren't, 
we aren't just acting like this towards those around us, but once again, we're actually acting like this towards God. Because why? Because He is the one that chooses and places us in the community and under spiritual authority. Which means when we resist biblical community, we resist spiritual leadership, when we resist uh, you know, spiritual counsel, guess what? We are actually resisting God Himself because He's the one that consistently uses and speaks and guides us through all of those things. Am I making sense to you? So maybe if I can just say it this way. If you're, if you're sitting here today and, and you do not value, okay, you do not value the, basically the church, if you don't see its importance in your life, okay, then, then I want you to know you are operating out of an independent spirit. And I want you to know today that if you don't value, okay, and hold importance, spiritual leadership in your life, then you're operating out of an independent spirit. Come on, don't get quiet on me now, okay? That's Bible. We can take you there, right? So, so listen, and the third thing I've learned is simply this, is that when we choose not to submit ourselves to biblical guidelines, biblical boundaries, guardrails, whatever word you want to use, it's not only immature, but man, it is foolish and it is dangerous. And this is why, because it's usually only a matter of time before an independent, independent spirited person will either get hurt themselves or they will do damage to someone else. Right? And I can say that, okay? Because why? Because I've done both of them. And I want you to know it's not really fun to be hard-headed in the kingdom and be running as fast as you can and you slam into a brick wall. It hurts, right? <laughs> but I want you to know when you really love people and you know that you had other people running with you when you hit that wall, that'll, that'll grieve your heart, right? That you cause damage to some of God's sons and God's daughters. Once again, I've done both and neither one of them are fun to live through. So let me maybe just say this before we move on. If, if by chance you're sitting here today and you're like, dude, I don't agree with you, like at all. This is dumb, right? I, I, I'm just going to ask you to take a moment to maybe uh, think back to the times where you didn't consult God, where you didn't listen to His voice or that inward witness, that red flag that was inside of you in, in this, or you didn't trust those around you, either spiritual leadership or the community that God put around you, that you didn't trust them. How well did it work for you? Right? Because if I'm being honest with myself, if I look back at the times where I was ignoring those things, man, it never worked out well. Right? And so, listen, I just think because of all these things that we're talking about, man, the older I get in the faith, uh, the more I personally value spiritual authority. Right? Like, truthfully, I've learned this, and I'm just going to say this. If you're in here today, and you're like, man, I want to be used by God either in the church world, or I want to be used by God in the marketplace, please listen to this next quote right here. We'll throw it up on the screen. It's this. It's simply that God will only give me, give us, give you as much authority in the kingdom as we personally are willing to submit to. Come on, let that sink in, please. That God will only give me and you as much authority in the kingdom as we're willing to submit to. So, so listen, if we want to have great authority in the kingdom, I'll just put it this way. If we want hell to shake when we pray, okay? If we want the anointing when we speak, right? If we want to be able to have the authority to father and to mother people's lives, if we want to lead people into the kingdom, then guess what? We need to be submitted. Because I believe, once again, it's biblical, the more we are submitted to authority, healthy authority, okay, the greater authority that it actually gives us in the kingdom to walk in. Right. Are y'all hearing me today, church? Yeah. 
So listen, I think if I could just maybe say this, that this is one of the reasons, okay, because you learn from mistakes, but then you also learn as you grow. This is one of the reasons why me and that lady over there have actively pursued spiritual authority and spiritual leadership in our life. In other words, we go after it. We look for it. I don't, we've never sat back and waited for people to come to us, right? So what I do is personally, as I learn to sit back and I begin to recognize, I begin to see, do I see Jesus in their life? And I'd say this, man, do they make me want more of him, right? When I get around that person, do I get hungry? Do they cause me to just want to go after God more? And then I go, you know what, can they be honest with me? Because, you know, anybody that I would say is a spiritual father in my life, it's people that I can call up and I can go, man, here's where I am frustrated. Here's where I'm angry. Here's where I'm disappointed. Here's where I'm hurt. Here's where I'm just struggling, right? And just go, blah, there it is. And I'm not looking for some, oh, it's okay. No, 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 no. I want a dad that's going to be honest with me and tell me where I'm being dumb. Right? Because the goal is to grow. The goal is to develop. So I want somebody that's going to love me enough to shoot straight with me, not somebody that's just going to coddle me. Are you hearing me, church? All right. So what's the point I'm trying to get to here? Is Let me, let me just simply say this. Is that if you're sitting here today and you feel like you're on an island to yourself, it's not God. Okay? That's an independent spirit. And, and listen, if you sit here today and you feel like you're, you're operating alone, it's not God. Okay? So, so the reason is because God never calls us to operate on our own and He never calls us to do life on our own. Are y'all hearing me? So, so don't be the super spiritual person in the room. Okay? I'll say it like I really want to say it. Don't be the spiritually ignorant person in the room that says, well, I got God. I don't need anybody else. You're wrong. That's not Bible. Okay? All right. So overall point, I just think this. If you and I would actually stop long enough to consider how Jesus, we know he's the pattern son, right? If we would actually begin to choose to depend, to actually see how he chose to depend upon the Father, and when we actually sit back and begin to consider how Jesus has called us to depend upon Him, and then when we begin to look at those definitions, those synonyms, and those signs of an independent spirit, I think we should be honest with ourselves and ask, man, does an independent spirit have any place in the kingdom of God, and does it have any place in the life of a believer? The answer is no. But isn't it amazing how much that we will uh, tolerate in our own lives of an independent spirit? that we give permission to, we let, it, we let it have us, right? And the truth is, listen, let me, let me just say something. I haven't said this in any other service today. If, if that has been you for years, I can promise you, I can promise you it has basically malnourished your walk with God. It has held you back, and you're not as far as where you should be today if you have not been submitted to God to spiritual leadership and in a church community, I can promise you, you're probably not where you're supposed to be today. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Amen? All right. So listen, I, I think obviously it doesn't have any place in the life of a believer. And, and here's why. It's because once again, it reflects an opposite spirit of the one Jesus walked in and reflects an opposite spirit of what we've been called to live in. And the reason it's the opposite spirit is because it's rooted. An independent spirit is rooted in pride and self-sufficiency. Okay? And, and, and let's be clear. The Bible says this in James 4. He says, God resists you when you are proud. 
but continually pours out grace when you are humble. Think about that. Do, li listen, listen, saint. Do, do you want God resisting you? Then we've got to be humble, right? So, so what is one of the solutions? Hang with me. We'll be done in a few minutes. What's one of the solutions to overcome an independent spirit? Y'all watch this. There's no magic pill to swallow, but, but there is something that helps us a long way, and it's what we're doing right now. It's called fasting. And the reason I say that is because this, because the Bible tells us in Psalm 35, this is what David wrote. He said, I humbled myself with fasting. So if you want to deal with an independent spirit, the route to go to is the route of humility. I promise you it's the path less traveled. Amen. It is the narrow way. So listen, and the reason I say is because I'm not so sure if there's anything that communicates to God more that we are depending on Him than we will actually say, you know what, I'm humbling myself before you and I'm going to fast. In other words, as I fast and pray, I'm saying, God, I give you permission to reveal to me any independent thinking that might be in my life. I give you permission to reveal to me any independent behavior that I have. And we're even saying this, Mainers, y'all listen to me. God, will you please reveal to me if I have actually made an independent spirit an idol in my life? If I become so proud of what I can do. Right? And then to say this, because if it's an idol, then that certainly means that an independent spirit has become a stronghold in your life. Yeah? All right, so before we close, I just want to give you, once again, rolling in the steam, what's the solution? What's the opposite direction? Let me show you an attitude that Jesus desires for us to have. And once again, this is an attitude that's rooted in humility and it's rooted in dependency. And it's found in Jesus' words from Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Let's look at it together. He said this, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. I think we have it up there, but other translations say it like this, blessed are those who realize their need for him. That's one thing to say, a different thing to do. Yes? So blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now y'all watch this. If we actually pull back and we read that in the original Greek language, here's the way it should have been translated and should, have been, should be read. It actually is this. Blessed are the beggars, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever felt like you, like literally, like I'm putting myself in the position of a beggar? Are you all hearing me today? So listen, so we kind of understand what that means I want to read something to you that I, that I read years and years ago from a, a man of God named David Ravenhill. He, he wrote this in one of his books, and, I'm a, and I want to, this is actually how this scripture came to life for me, and I began to approach God in a much different way. And this is what I read. He said this in one of his books. He said, in 1987, I went to India for the first time to teach for a week in a Bible school just outside the city of Hyderabad. He said, one afternoon, someone offered to take me on a tour of the city. He said, this was my first real visit to India, apart from a brief touchdown once in the Bombay airport. And so I was eager to experience this fascinating culture. And he went on to say this. If you've ever been to India, you know that they use every available means of transport. There were horse-drawn carts, carts that were being pushed or pulled by people, bicycles, scooters, trucks, buses, just about every form of transport you could imagine. All these vehicles seemed to be piled up to heaven, and the traffic appeared to have a mind of its own as it weaved among all the lanes. 
He said, I was completely overwhelmed and absorbed with everything that was going on around me. Y'all watch this. He said, while waiting at a traffic signal, I heard a voice. I turned, assuming it was the driver, but it wasn't. The second time I heard it, I looked around again, and right beside me, sitting on a little median strip, dividing the lanes of traffic, was a little boy around 8 to 12 years of age. Then he said it was hard to estimate his age due to his physical condition because his body was all twisted, his arms were def uh, deformed, his legs were all knotted up beneath him, and he was begging. He says, I remember looking at that little boy and realizing that's exactly what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the beggars for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, you see, that little boy had come to the realization that he didn't have the strength. He didn't have the dexterity or the mobility to operate a machine or to do anything other than to beg. Consequently, he was, he was reduced to surviving, if you like, on someone else's generosity, someone else's goodness. In other words, his life was derived from somebody else's means, somebody else's wealth and graciousness. He was a beggar. He knew that he was not capable of managing his own strength by his own strength, and therefore he was reduced to a place of total dependency. He said if nobody helped him, he could not make it or exist it on his own. Now how do we apply that? Listen to what he says. He says that, and that is the very first principle that Jesus gave concerning the kingdom of God. If we are to be a part of God's kingdom, principle number one is, blessed are the beggars. We have to be totally convinced that we, are, we have absolutely no ability in and of ourselves and therefore see ourselves as beggars. He said, I have told people around the world and I'm not ashamed to tell you that I am a spiritual beggar. Hardly a day goes by that I don't get down on my face before God and lift up my tin cup, so to speak, and say, God, give me of your wealth, give me of your sustenance. Y'all hearing this today? Listen, why would a man, he's an absolute man of God, why would he say that? And here's why, because Brother David, I believe, has learned that the way to overcome an independent spirit is choosing to be like Jesus, to become completely dependent on his Heavenly Father as a spiritual beggar. So we're all clear here. Listen, we're sons and daughters. We have a place at the table, right? So it's not that we come and we beg and plead with God, but what it is is we just simply understand, like that young guy, if God doesn't intervene in our life, then our life is totally void of all those things, yeah. right? And so we depend upon Him. And I think that, man, uh, you know, like I've been like last night, I'm laying in bed, right? Like I made a mistake. I'm getting old. I drink a cup of coffee, then a cup of sweet tea, and then I laid in bed for three hours staring at the ceiling. <laughs> Definitely a sign that I'm getting old, okay? I used to be able to do that and fall right asleep. Anyways, so I'm sitting there last night and I'm like, man, how all does this apply to our life? And how can I pray in such a way that God about my marriage for my kids, right? For, for my own growth, for the church, that I actually begin to approach God in such a way that God, if you don't come through. Am I making sense? That there's a dependency upon them, that I need these things from him if I'm going to be able to do what he's called me to do, Right? Now, now, watch this. I hate to tell us this next part, but y'all realize that the American mindset is diametrically opposed to being a spiritual beggar. Right? In other words, we tend to want to display ourselves as proud, as strong, as independent. Right? The last thing that we want to somehow 
show or display. Truthfully, listen, I've been, I've been to almost all the 50 states, and I've been to a few other countries, but it's definitely in America. Uh, but I will say this, it doesn't matter if it's in uh, the ghetto, it doesn't matter if it's in a trailer park, it doesn't matter if it's on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. Man, there's one common theme about us Americans, is we do not want to confess, we do not want to admit, we do not want to show that we are weak. Are y'all hearing me today? But listen, once again, counter culture is the kingdom of God. To understand the Bible says when we are weak, guess what? We are strong. So the way for supernatural strength is through weakness. Right? To understand the Bible says in our weakness, His power is made perfect. If you want to see the power of God in your life, then get weak. Yes? If you want to be void of it, stay strong. So, so let me just kind of maybe close with this question. And, and, you know, you can show your hand or not. It doesn't really matter to me. But, but if I could just maybe ask today, like if you and I were sitting down at a table having a cup of coffee together, and I begin to ask you, man, like, look, do you, do you want to be used of God? Like, not just, you know, yes, if it's in the church, but also in the world, in the workplace. Do you want to be used of God? Like, do you want to go home for Thanksgiving and, and Christmas? And do you want God to use you in your family? Like, literally, like everywhere you go in every aspect of your life, do you want God's hand on you? And do you want God to actually move through you and to speak through you? Like, yes, Jesus, please. Right? And so, listen, I'm trying to tell you today that for that to happen, you got to hear the invitation from heaven and that invitation is to call you, right, to summon you to a place of dependency upon Him. Yes. Now, how do we know that? Because the Bible clearly says this. Y'all listen. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26-29, it says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that's all of us, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things in the world, considers, the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. One translation clearly says this, He chose the weak things to shame the things that obviously think they're strong. Now why does God do that? Here's really simple. Why? Because remember about an independent spirit, it seeks really its own glory. Right? But if you really want to see the glory of God move in your life, then guess what? It's there in verse 29. It says, as a result, in other words, God chooses these people because no one can ever boast in the presence of God. They won't get the glory. He will. Yes. Amen? Yes. And so, listen, I just simply want to pray with you today and we'll be done. So can you, can you please just close your eyes? And uh, greater than that, in your own heart, man, can you lean into the Holy Spirit in this moment? Because I believe Jesus wants to show us some things. Man, I think, once again, like I said up top, He loves us. And I think because He loves us, He reveals things to us. So let's just simply pray. Father, we are asking you today, God, as your sons and daughters, God, we want to know today, really, God, are we, are we operating in our lives from an independent spirit in any way? God, like would you show us, are we living our lives yes, trying to say, you know what, I'm going to do it my own way. But Lord, how are we actually depending on our own strength and our own abilities and our own knowledge and our own insight? God, how have we actually depended upon our own righteousness in many ways to get the job done? 
And Lord, I think the question is, Lord, on the flip side, or are we depending on your strength and your ability and your wisdom, your insight, your grace, your anointing, and your righteousness to get the job done? Lord, like, would you show us which one we're doing? The truth is, God, is there's great tension happening in a lot of us in this room. God, every day there's a tug of war happening between our flesh and our spirit. And Lord, there's days we do one way really good and there's days we do the other way really good. But Lord, we're asking God today that that part of us that tries to be strong and arrogant and just prideful and independent. God, we're asking today that part of us that's so full of ourselves. God, that you would literally begin to break that in us. God, would you help us to be weak and help us to be empty like Jesus was. God, we realize that you've called us to be transformed into the image of your Son. And so, Lord, would you help us to be weak, help us to be empty. God, I'm asking God that literally that divisive part in us, God, would be uprooted from our marriages. It would be uprooted from our relationships, be uprooted from our relationship with you. God, I pray that that part of us is so independent when it comes to the, the church body and church leadership. God, that that thing would be exposed and be ripped out of us. In fact, Lord, even as I prayed last night, God, I pray that in this moment that your hand would literally go down into our hearts and go down into our minds, God, and you would just literally, by the roots, God, that you would begin to snatch it up. Lord, we're not asking you to deal with the fruit of these things today. We're asking you to deal with the root. God, would you go down deep in the dirt so these things don't ever grow back again. God, would you remove them from our lives. God, help us to be empty. And Lord, I'm asking God today that we leave this place, not just for the 13 more days that we're fasting, but God, for the rest of our lives, it would be our goal to live a life of dependency upon you. Because once again, you said in your word that we can do nothing without you. And Lord, you said in your word, God, that clearly that there's a day that we're going to offer, God, what we've done before you. And Lord, we don't want rotten fruit on that day. God, we want to give you something of value, precious, something that will make you smile. God, in our hearts, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So Lord, thank you for just doing whatever you need to do in us today to get us there. Lord, as single people, as married couples, as moms and dads, grandparents. God, do whatever you got to do in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.